This podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I'm ready to party! Good morning, Vietnam! Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Magic myth on the wall. Who is the fairest one of all? Yeah. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. So I guess it has begun. The great isolation of 2020. So pretty much every, our normal weekend. Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah, this is like self-isolation is just our natural habitat (laughs) anyhow. Well, we say that we either completely self-isolated or out. Eating yeah. and drinking. That's it. So half of it is we will can't do anymore because no restaurants are open. But or bars, or bars, or, or cinemas. Cinemas. Cinemas are closed. That's a piece of news that's came since we last recorded. Yeah. Um, all cinemas are closed for the foreseeable, and it's going to be an interesting landscape, I think, for the next few months regarding cinema. I know we do normally we speak about about older films or films that aren't coming out mm-hmm. um, currently, but yeah, it's there's going to be a slew of either on-demand films, which we've seen um, a few films get over the last few weeks, and there'll be, yeah. there'll be more over time, um, and then see how things happen over the next few months, because you've got big tempo films coming out that even in the summer, like June time, which yeah. still have their release dates, but... They're still planning. It's like we were discussing it because obviously, like where we work, we have to get like our promotional stuff, mm-hmm. um, and some of the stuff that we do have is in line with films. Yeah. So me and one of the ladies that I work with today were discussing like, well, what do we do for Wonder Woman at the moment? It's still going ahead. Um, does that mean that it'll go ahead and we'll be able to go see it in the cinemas? Yeah. Does it mean that um we will be streaming it? Yeah. It's, it's going to change a huge amount of things. And it's also, for things like that, like, it's like the Peter Rabbit film was put back. Yeah. How much money have people spent in getting promotional material for that? Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, it's one of those, if it works and people actually do go and use streaming and mm-hmm. the, the revenues that are generated from that are actually decent, mm-hmm. what does that say for cinemas? We don't know. But... Um, but that's not what we're here for. Firstly, no, we're welcome not. to His Film, Her Movie. Welcome. I'm Jordan. I'm Lauren. And we are a podcast whose aim is to show just how diverse cinema can be by taking you on two very different kind of cinematic journeys. Yes. Um, different tastes and just to show you that even though films can be connected, they can be very, very different in tone and execution. Mm-hmm. However, saying that, the next couple of episodes are going to be a little bit different. Yes. It's going to be a little special episodes because given the given the situation that we are in, mm-hmm. um, so we normally pick two films that are based on a subject or a theme and then discuss them and how they can be connected. But given that people are 
but being asked to be well isolate themselves from from the outside world yep. spend a lot of time indoors we've both chosen two film franchises the best film franchises for when you quarantine yes now what constitutes a film franchise well we've both chose ones that have well six films or more yeah we've both tried to pick ones that have got a decent amount of films in um we've both put them for different reasons i know that mine i tried to think of something that would be universal yes for the, all the family. All the family. Because you're going to spend a lot of time with them. You might as well all agree to watch something. Absolutely. And I mean, and some of these uh, have very high rewatch values because yes. obviously we'll be talking about um, one of them today, which I mean, we've seen quite a lot of. But A million times. Yeah. But what we've done also is we've picked out the single film, our, our favourite film of that franchise, is to talk about a bit more in depth. Mm-hmm. But it's mostly just about the franchise in general. Yeah. So, that given... Yes. What did you choose? I picked the wonderful and vast Harry Potter franchise. Yes. So, this is just the Harry Potter franchise, not the Wizarding not, World. Not the Wizarding World. I'm just going with the original franchise yes. for this. Because if we get into the wizarding world, then it, it just, it gets a bit diverse. And I feel like for a lot of children, the Harry Potter franchise is still, is still the most popular. Yes. It's, it's um, the most accessible. Yeah, yeah. For a lot of people. Absolutely. So that was my choice for this week. And my favourite film from that franchise is the third film, The Prisoner of Azkaban. Which I think is very much a consensus on many Potter fans, yeah. is they really do love, not only love this film, but love that book more than most. It's my absolute most favourite book. I mean, it's it's like the last book before they start getting really big. Yeah. Um. But yeah, should we have a little advert for people and then we will We can do, it? yeah, definitely. CS3P Combat. Player one, choose your character. Tired of film and television podcasts where the hosts exist in a blissful state of agreement? Player two, choose your character. While you're in luck. Hunter. Round one, fight! Allow me to introduce you to the Chinstroker vs. Punter podcast, featuring two film and television fans from Birmingham, England, who enjoy their media in very different ways. But anyway, that brings us to the end of the plot of Blue Velvet. The plot. I mean, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. So join us as we catch up on what we've been watching from our own very different perspectives. Double KO. Round two. You can find us at csvsp.libson.com, also on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, all the places that podcasts can be found. Just really, it's isn't. not visually striking. No, I just just getting confirmation. It's just in English. That's the third time, though. I mean, am I, is this on? Yeah. Yeah. This podcast you're listening to, pretty good, isn't it? Only problem is, it's about halfway through. Pretty soon, it'll be over. And then what are you going to do?
Well, if you're a fan of this show, why not head over to wearepodsyndicate.com and subscribe to our brand new feed, Pod Syndicate The Bonus Shows. Every week, your hosts from Beyond the Neon, Chinstroker vs. Punter, Entertainment Landfill, Film Bastards, His Film, Her Movie, and What's On Tap will be dropping bonus shows right onto that feed. These shows might be collaborations and crossovers, or they might be archive episodes, interviews, one-offs, and other treats from across the Pod Syndicate network. So, prepare yourself for the inevitable disappointment of this Pod Syndicate show ending by heading to wearepodsyndicate.com and clicking on The Bonus Shows. We now return you to your regularly scheduled Pod Syndicate podcast. Professor, can I ask you something? You want to know why I stopped you facing that boggart? Yes? I would have thought it would be obvious. I assumed it would take the shape of Lord Voldemort. I did think of Voldemort at first. But then I remembered that night on the train, and the Dementor. Well, I'm very impressed. That suggests that what you fear the most is fear itself. This is very wise. Before I fainted, I heard something. A woman, screaming. Well, Dementors force us to relive our very worst memories. Our pain becomes their power. I think it was my mother, the night she was murdered. You know, the very first time I saw you, Harry, I recognized you immediately. Not by your scar, by your eyes. They're your mother, Lily's. Yes. Oh, yes. I knew her. Your mother was there for me at a time when no one else was. Not only was she a singularly gifted witch, she was also an uncommonly kind woman. She had a way of seeing the beauty in others, even and perhaps most especially when that person could not see it in themselves. Once upon a time, once upon a time, there was a little boy who lived under the stairs. Yes, but for a bit of uh, information, so if you want to start on this journey mm-hmm. to watch all the Harry Potter films, yeah, how long do you think it would take you? What, in one sitting? Well, or do you think we, just in general? All combined, so all eight films. To sit down and watch it in one sitting? Yeah. Um, well, you always ask me stuff like this. I can't do maths. <laughs> um, so. I'm, I'm, I'm going to think, I'm going to say like that one's about an average. And I'm going to say that's like. I can literally see the <laughs> clockwork and like. Do, do, do you know when you can see just all these like, like little animals? You're throwing things <laughs> off. I'm going to say for the first three films, I'm going to say around six hours. Mm-hmm. And then the other films, because um, they are quite big as well, but you kind of forget how long they are yeah. because you get into them. I'm going to say in total about 15 hours, 15, Oof. 16 hours. Oof. Am I close? Kinda give or take, but no. Okay, so, but I'm so not you, including. I'm not including like the credits and stuff. Oh well, you, you, that's part of the runtime of a film. But um, so what child is going to sit through the credits and be like, "Who's the best boy?" People who care about who made that film. But no, so <laughs> from, from from start to the end, mm-hmm. it is nineteen hours thirty nine minutes. Mm-hmm. So just under twenty hours. So there's a good so you could chunk. Do it in a day. You could do it in a day. <laughs> It would be a really, really intense day. You'd probably hate Harry Potter at the end of it, but oh you can do God, it. Can we do it in a day? <laughs> no. 
Let's do it. Let's do it in a day. If everything goes tits up and it means that we can't work or anything, let's just watch Harry Potter in a day. We could do it as a social experiment and just after every film, just like record five minutes on how we're feeling. <laughs> and um, the films all together, I mean, this includes the, the other two Wizarding World films, but it's taken $8.64 billion at the worldwide box office. Yeah, I can understand, completely understand why. Completely. So, yeah, so we... I mean, we're going to talk about Prisoner of Azkaban a bit more depth. So let's start at the beginning. Philosopher's Stone. Yeah. Or the Sorcerer's Stone, if you live in the United States of I America. I never understood why they changed it from Philosopher to Sorcerer's Stone. I read somewhere that they thought that the American audience wouldn't understand what a philosopher That's was. That's exactly right. Yeah, I'm not being funny. At, like, age 10, I had no idea what a philosopher was no. either. No. Don't understand why they changed it. Nobody knew. The age group that you're aiming those books at does not know what a philosopher is. You're, like... No. Yeah. Don't know why they thought the people across the pond would be stupider. They're not. <laughs> we didn't know what it was either. <laughs> <laughs> so the first film directed by Chris Columbus. Yes. Um, I think it came out in two thousand and one. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, takes Harry to Hogwarts. You find out all about this. <clears throat> You're world. a wizard, Harry. Yes, and he gets two friends, Ron and Hermione. You find out about the big bad, who's Lord Voldemort, who he who must not be named. Yeah. You understand everything about the school, and then... They play a giant game of wizard chess. Yeah, so I mean... They escape pe- people through know. from like a man... Not Mandrake? Mandrake plant? Good triumphs over evil. Yes. So, I mean, my thoughts on Philosopher's Stone yeah. is... It gets a lot of... A lot of hard press just because of it's not only the core <coughs> cast being what eleven year old people, aren't the greatest of actors at that point. No, um, Chris Columbus directs in, in in a way where it kind of looks like a BBC drama, not <laughs> yeah, it does. not a multi million pound sort of Hollywood production mm-hmm. and yeah I, I don't mind it I sit, I sit there and I enjoy it when I watch it's on but that's because I enjoy the story yeah um but yeah what did you think about Philosopher's Stone first one again shockingly bad child acting um but I also kind of feel like it's maybe closer to what the characters are supposed to be mm-hmm um, like as you go through the films, like Hermione's hair changes and it doesn't match to what it's described as. Um, it's a good introduction. Like you got to remember that these books were massive. Yeah. But the first book, when you look at all the others, it doesn't. It isn't as good as the other books. I don't feel it's. It's like in the other books, J.K. Rowling gets into the swing of it. She gets into the whole world more absolutely so this is i think it's a very good reflection of the book it's just like it's like a dipping your toe yeah i mean i mean i think the book is what it does well is it entices you and it opens up this world Mm -hmm. and you get attracted to that like for me yes it's not as good as the other books to be honest i'll probably put it above chamber of secrets 
Yeah, Chamber of Secrets, yeah. Um, but that's just because of how everything's introduced. And it's like you are sort of Harry at that point. You're you're the fish out of water. You'll learn all about all these different yeah. sort of with um, magics, different people, different races, different sort of who is good, who is bad. And you, you, you really get involved in that. I also feel like the demographic is different for the first two books. The demographic for the first two books and the first two films is of a younger audience. Yeah. And then, because I remember when the when the book very first came out, I was in year six. Mm. And when the second book came out, I was in year eight. Yeah. And then they carried on a year, a year after year after year. And they came out until I was like in sixth form. So I literally aged at the same time as the characters apart from the first but, book. So the first book was for somebody who was in like year six of yeah. primary school. Your last year, before you go off to secondary school, that was who it was aimed at. It's not going to be the most sophisticated, wonderful work of art. But if you compared the writing from that very first book to the end one where the characters are fully matured and so are the readers you can see such a huge difference. And I also believe that is why the stories get so much better towards the end of the films. Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, the tone of the entire story grows up as the characters do as well. Yeah. And, and because of we are where we were born, like I think the first came, book came out in 1997, I believe. So like I was 11 when it came out. Yeah, you're the year older than me. So, yeah, I, I was definitely like, like I, I remember the boy who lent me the book. Yeah, yeah. And everything. I remember reading it and being like, Mum, I have to, you have to get me a copy of this book. And then having to wait like a year and a half until I was like in, in year eight for the second one to yeah. come out. That's it. So, I said that that first film, I think, was kind of sanitized. You, yeah. You got to see Hogwarts, but it just, everything looked. A little too shiny, and a, li- yeah. and a little too too studio. Yeah, yeah. So very, very new. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of carried on towards Chamber of Secrets as well. But and do you know, Chris Columbus gets again a lot of flack for those two first first two films. Mm-hmm. But he did the most important thing that anybody ever did for any Harry Potter, Harry Potter film. Yeah. And that's cast the people in the parts that they're meant to be in. Mm-hmm. So he cast Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, Rupert Grint, Maggie Smith, Robbie Coltrane. I mean, yeah. all the ki- everybody. And because they don't, they don't change. They don't change. Sadly, the only, only the only person who changes is Dumbledore. Yeah, that was sadly because the Richard Harris died. Yeah, and that's it. So his importance for the franchise is huge because. He picked the right kids because look at other child actors and who went mental yeah. over time where these lot seem to be very... and not Maybe it's because they grew up on, in the studio maybe. and on set and everything like that and didn't have mm-hmm. the opportunities really because they were knocking these out every year for like, what, eight, nine years? Oh, God, easy, yeah. So <clears throat> it's it was a big thing that Chris Columbus did was getting those right actors in the roles yes, because definitely. you definitely see the benefits when you get on further on mm-hmm. but chamber of secrets i did like i did enjoy chamber of secrets um Ginny, i'm sorry you say about casting people i'm sure the lady who plays Ginny is a lovely girl she was shockingly miscast in this 
And she is horrendous. Even even the later ones, she's not. She's not. She's not great. Bonnie and Wright, I'm, I think. I'm sure she's lovely, and I'm sure if she's carried on acting, she's probably found roles are much more her. This, I, I just don't feel like she should have been Ginny. I just find her really wooden mm. throughout the whole franchise. And everybody kind of, towards the end, when everybody starts like loosening up and really being their character, she's still like, oh, Harry, I love you. Mm. I just don't believe a word that she says. But I really liked, um, I felt like this went, it goes more into like black magic. Yeah, yeah. And I really like that sort of stuff. And then... You find out more like about the Horcruxes. And, yeah, but you don't know it at the time. You don't know about it, but you kind of like get, it's like, oh, this is like different. I love the idea of like the Basilisk going around. Yes. Love that. And I really felt that after reading the book and then watching it, I feel like they got um, Salazar Slytherin's chamber dead on. Yeah. I think that he did, they did really, really well in that design. Really well. Oh, I mean, the thing is, that's one, I mean, the set work on Potter, I mean, we'll get that more in later episodes, but yeah, it's it's a big old Warner Brothers set, mm-hmm. so, like, money is not an op, like, it's not a, an issue, so when they want to build a big, grand set, they can they can get it right, absolutely, yeah. um, but, like, for me, yeah, Chamber of Secrets gets a little bit more darker, um, I said I I really do love that that twist of how the basilisk is working and how Harry um, yeah. understands what it is how it, how this parcel tongue is working and yeah. again how all this retrospectively ties in to his connection with with Lord Voldemort about yeah. how part of his soul <laughs> came to came to him and that's why he can speak that way mm-hmm. he can understand it. Um, and again, when you talk about the Horcruxes, like we have no idea that Tom Riddle's diary is a Horcrux until <coughs> book six. Yeah, it's quite late on. But it's like you get like an introduction and then you're like, well, but Tom Riddle, Tom Riddle's Voldemort, why is Voldemort popping up out this? It gives like the introduction to it and makes you start to think about everything. Yeah. Which is what I really like. And that's it. And again, another piece of casting with Jason Isaacs as Lucius Malfoy, which is Brilliant. Oh, he's so good. Um, we get introduced to Dobby. I'm really sorry. Controversial. <laughs> Don't like Dobby. <laughs> Don't like Dobby. Fucks everything up. If I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, he messes so much stuff up. And he's a bit creepy looking. He is. He's creepy looking. Don't like how he looks. Creeps me out. Annoying. <laughs> Never liked him. I will fully admit, didn't cry when he died. <gasps> I didn't cry when he died. That's because, I also that's because cry- you don't have a soul. Yeah, I also didn't cry during Les Miserables. I just didn't cry that either, so. Terrible. It's already been well proven I don't have a soul, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I think for, I mean, for the first two, are always being considered as the worst two in the franchise. Yeah. Um, which, which is a bit of a shame, but I understand. I, mean, I think The Chamber of Secrets, again, is the worst film and the worst book out there are all of them. Again, it, it, it's very... Yeah, very still-looking films where that's what you don't want. And this is mm-hmm. when you get into Prison of Azkaban, that is the biggest shift Yeah. of the, it going from looking like TV to looking like cinema. Yeah, it looks like an actual film. So Prison of Azkaban. Love it. I 
For me, this this one was always the one that stood out because, like you said, it just it looks so much better. So this one is not directed by Christopher Columbus. No. This one um is directed by Alfonso. Is it Quaron? Quaron. Quaron, and I just I just feel like he really gets it. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry. Um. You can see um, each scene is he's it, the, the the amount of detail that's in it um, and like we said we um, talk about like the set designs and everything we've been very lucky being able to go to the Harry Potter experience down in London and little things like the the Great Hall like the floor is actually laid flagstones yeah so they are a bit uneven and they're not perfect they created. Artwork to go on, real artwork to go on the walls. People created real cups and plates and knives and forks and everything, and it just it to me it just looks looks less like a set and more like a real place, which I find quite funny because the outside of where they filmed for the first two films is um the castle over in Newcastle, which isn't that far away from us. Is it Newcastle? Oh, What's sure. it called? Annick Castle. Right. Over in Northumberland. So it's not that far away from us. And it's a real place. And if you ever get a chance to go, definitely go. Because it's a lovely place. Um, But when they're walking around outside in the first two, I feel like that looks faker than when they're walking around on this. Yeah. It just... They've thought about it more outside. In, the, in this film, you see it so much bigger and so much grander because that is what Hogwarts is. Absolutely. Um, everything is just ramped up and it it just fulfills what I think J.K. Rowling was getting at when she was describing and she was writing the Harry Potter books. It looks like it's literally came from her head. Whereas the other films, although it looks very they look good, you can see they've looked they, they look good, but they've been done on some sort of budget. Yeah. I feel like this one doesn't have a budget, to so to speak of. That's for me. I think the best thing that I mean, there's a few things that Quaron does in this, which it's this is a massive shift for the franchise because it it's follow most all the films after this follows in the steps of mm-hmm. Prisoner of Azkaban, and yeah, the environment for me looks lived in. That castle yeah. looks like it's 300 years old. It looks like it's full of kids running around trashing the place yeah. all the time, uh, which it is. And part of me, the thing is about the Harry Potter franchise, because we, we will, we've all grown with books, we've all loved the books. Because mm-hmm. um, we were, we, again, we're saying we were of that age, if we grew up with them. Yeah. And trying to imagine it. And, but, like, to be honest, the attraction to the franchise was never really the story, it was never really. The characters, it was, I loved this world. Yes. And the world building that, that they do. And that was fully realised in this film where you get to see parts of the Leaky Cauldron where it just looks so... Old and battered. And decrepit. It looks like a proper old man pub. Yeah, it looks like... Yeah, they don't look like sets. They look like they've just... They look like they've up. gone up to the boardroom and started filming there. Yeah. And <laughs> and it's not only that, but it's also what Quaron did as well was when he came 
and he saw the costumes. Yeah. He basically said, right, make them, how would you wear it to the kids? Mm -hmm. Wear them how you would wear them at school. Mm -hmm. So therefore, being 13 year old at the time, like the, like the first ones are very again. The, the cl- they're all covered up. They've got the cloaks on. They're all like yeah. They've got the things. That I wear. feel like that's what you like in year seven. Maybe, maybe you try and stick to the rules and you run around with a giant backpack. Yes. And by the time you get to year nine, you're like, I run this school. I know what I can get away with. But then you, you see, you've got shirts that are untucked. You've got ties that are like you remember. You used to have the short ties. Never and had the, a tie. Well, it short. It, you know what I mean? Like the characters. Brought personality to them to themselves, mm-hmm. and that's what Quaron brought personality to the franchise. Yeah, and yes, Prince of Rasgaban is. Well, they do get darker and darker and darker, but it definitely brings a bit more of that darkness. You, you're introduced to Lupin, who is one of my favorite characters within the franchise. Yeah, um, and it's just kind of it sounds bad to call it authentic into Wizard and World, but it feels like that. Yeah, it does. It's like little things like when they have um, Bookbeak. Mm-hmm. Like when Bookbeak's in the background and like Hagrid's chatting away about him, he like poops and everything. Stupid <laughs> little things like that. Go, if that was a horse, that would be what a horse does. It acts like a real animal. Yeah. It's not just like, I'm a mystical beast and I'm going to just stand here. It like saunters around and it poops and it eats and it like cleans its feathers and everything that is what if that was a real thing that's what that would be doing mm. and i think again prison rascaban what helps is that it's two hours 16 minutes long yes so i think it is the shortest of the potters mm-hmm. and it does whip along yeah at a hell of a lot of pace i mean again you you're introduced right into the world with aunt marge there's no real setup. It's you're into that conflict, and then you're back at Hogwarts. Yes, and that's what I really love about this film. Even though, like stuff like what happens in Diagon Alley and things like that in the books, I do enjoy when I'm mm-hmm. reading it. But they don't really advance the plot. So no. when you're watching a film, it's a different experience. So therefore, you want to sort of keep it going. Mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah, I mean, Azkaban is... It's not my favourite Potter. I understand why people understand it is. Yeah. And, like, the fact that Quaron directed it, like, coming off uh, Itamama Tambien, which was this really low-budget Mexican film mm-hmm. um, in 2001 and directed this in t- 2004. Like, he did a few films before that, like Little Princess. Yeah. Um, Great Expectations. And then he went back to his roots with Itamama Tambien. But then, yeah... Potter was, it, it It was a really strange choice, but it worked. That, it, it had it, a good vision. It was, it was a great vision and it was definitely the shot in the arm that the franchise needed. Oh, definitely. Because there's so many of these where people say, I love the books, but the films are terrible. Yes. Whereas if it kept on going in the way that the previous two were, I think that's what would have been said about the Harry Potter franchise. Yes, I agree. It just wouldn't have lived up no. to the books. Um, I actually found out something quite funny right. about um, Quaron. So um, as he's Mexican, um, he um, did have quite a thick Mexican accent. Yeah. So when he was describing what he wanted for the Dementors coming onto the train, 
Um, he said that he wanted the rain to turn to ice, but people misunderstood his accent and thought that he said that he wanted the rain turned to eyes. Right. And so they did like a full storyboard of it raining eyes. And he was like, this is totally wrong. I meant, I said ice, you know, like <laughs> the hard, cold, frozen water coming down, not disembodied eyes coming down. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wish I kind of saw that. <laughs> that would have been kind of terrifying. That would have been absolutely terrifying. <laughs> absolutely terrifying. Do you have anything more to add on Prisoner of Azkaban? I mean, Gary Oldman's great. Gary Oldman's, uh, Gary Oldman's just amazing. That man can just turn his hand at like, I've never seen him in a bad performance. Mm, well, um, I've seen him a few in my time, but he... You watch more films than yeah. Um, this is where the kids you can obviously tell they've got a bit more confident in their roles they start to relax a bit more it's absolutely the first one when you actually see them properly act, act. yeah absolutely um, oh I don't know I just there's just so much about this film that I really like yeah yeah I mean you got see you got Emma Thompson coming in there as well but yeah, it's it's so unique compared to the first two. Yeah, and I think that's probably why a lot of people really like it. Yeah. You had the first two, which were good, but they weren't amazing. And then this one comes along and it's like, this is where the franchise starts. It is. And the thing is, you got quite on. And now the next one, Goblet of Fire, you've got Mike Neal coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, who Who is, I mean, directed a fair few of like Forrest and a Funeral, things like that. And he comes in and directs Goblet of Fire. Yeah. What, what's your thoughts on Goblet of Fire? Um, I really like, I really like Goblet of Fire. Mm-hmm. My favourite character is Rita Skeeter. Yes. Um, there is a bit of a fan theory <clears throat> that Rita Skeeter is, um, J.K. Rowling. Right. So, the theory is that Harry Potter and everything's real. Mm-hmm. And that J.K. Rowling is actually Rita Skeeter. And, um, people basically just... After all this sort of stuff was done, she was sort of like blacklisted and nobody wanted to work with her. So she moved to the Muggle world and tried to tell everybody the truth about what's happening. And then people just took it as a kid's story and then she ended up making up loads of money from it. <laughs> Which I found quite funny. I like that little story. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's little bits of this that always make me laugh. There's the, there's the, um, the meme bit. Have you seen um, where in the book it's like Dumbledore comes up and he's like, Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire, and in the film, it's like, Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? And starts screaming at him, and it's like, that's not what he did in the books. He was very calm and collected. Um, I think it's got some really good special effects. Yeah, yeah. The one that always, and it's such a silly little one that always stands out to me, is when Fred and George get hit by the anti-aging spell. Yeah. And I feel like those two are like really underrated as actors. I find them, I find the guys who play Fred and George very funny and they just, I know it sounds stupid to say they bounce off each other because they're, they're brothers. They obviously know each other yeah, yeah. very, very well. So it's very easy for them to bounce off each other. But um, for me, they are the literal embodiment of the Weasley twins. You could never imagine any anybody else ever being able to no, no, no. play them. And you see them a bit more in this, which I think is good. Because you mentioned about how you barely see them in the last film. Yeah, well, to be honest, that's part of, I think, why the running time is low. Because 
generally the support and cast get no screen time yeah, in Prison of Azkaban because you literally all you're caring about is that plot. Mm-hmm. Um, it is is just being so focused on <clears throat> getting towards the time travel stuff. Yeah. Whereas Goblet of Fire, again, extended runtime, I think it's like, what, 12, 40 or something like that. I have a question, just yeah. to go back to Prison of Azkaban. So they had the time turner to be able to go back and save a hippogriff. Yep. But Dumbledore couldn't have turned the time back and saved Harry's parents. Maybe. How you, 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 that's playing with, well, maybe I'll say death, no. but yeah. It's playing with death. Sirius was going to die. Buckbeak was going to die. You couldn't have, you know, turned back. Plot turn, point. You couldn't have turned plot the... Plot hole. Massive plot hole. You couldn't <laughs> have turned the time back for an hour and, you know, saved them. When you need to get out of this house now. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's actually a good plot, 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 plot hole. Thank you. But no, I mean, for, for me, I mean, Goblet of Fire, I remember I was at university when it came out and I just joined City Screen... As a member, mm-hmm. and when you when you join City Screen as a member, you got four free tickets. Um, Did you use all four of these to go see this film? Yeah, really. I went to see it four times. <laughs> and the thing is, it's not even my favorite of the franchise. And it was it was just the fact that it was on at the time. And when I was and at university, you had, no you had nothing. You had nothing to do. And I was just like, I no okay, friends to go. No friends. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I went to see it four times in the cinema. But again, I really. I just like the aesthetic of it as well. I just mm-hmm. love how it's all put together. And it's one of those things where I'm really disappointed because given the scale of these movies and stuff like, I mean, just how internationally loved they are, it's, I would love to see some more documentaries about like the behind the scenes stuff because oh, yeah. like for the Lord of the Rings films on the extended editions, like DVDs, Blu-rays, whatever, like, Peter Jackson, from when he came onto the project till the end, filmed everything. Yeah. Behind the scenes, everything. And for those, um, each one of those films, on the seven, it's put together like documentaries. Mm-hmm. It, it flows perfectly. There's like, what, <clears throat> seven hours each? Extra. Of extras. And honestly, there's some of the best sort of insight to how films work, how films... Because it goes into... Not only does it go, go into, your, like, how one of things came about in the mm-hmm. shooting, but you go in-depth with the special effects people, with the people, the prop people, mm-hmm. um, costumes, building sets, things like that, where I would love to see... Because the amount of attention to detail... Because we say we've been there, yeah. we've seen all these props. I would love to have seen that sort of love being put to these movies. Yeah, because the like, props were crazy. They just had like big trolleys of props. Absolutely. And you you, you get to understand, know the people on the other side of it because like watching those do- those documentaries for all the rings, you get to understand who the people of Weta are and obviously <clears throat> what they went on to do. Yeah. Um, you get to see like Andy Serkis being Gollum but only in his sort of like weird <laughs> gimp costume because <laughs> he green was, game costume. yeah because he was there delivering <clears throat> a performance with Elijah Wood and Sean Astin and stuff like that yeah. where I would love to have seen like even if it was just like a two hour three hour documentary with each film because there must have been enough content the amount of oh yeah um time and love spent on those movies and that's what it sort of they kind of got shortchanged a bit 
mm-hmm. which is a shame. But no, um, but Goblet of Fire, I think, is good. And again, we get introduced to more and more characters. It's just more of the world. Yeah. Because at that point in time, you just kind of think it's only Hogwarts. Oh, absolutely. And then you're like, oh no, there's Durmstrung and there's Bobax. Yeah, Bobatton. Bobax? Bobatton? I don't know. He says Bobax. (laughs) I don't know. I didn't do French. But no, and also you've got <clears throat> the introduction of Rafe Fiennes as Lord Voldemort, which another is another sort of great casting choice. Yes. Um, and everything so wonderfully camp. He's he's so wonderfully camp, and just yes, yeah, so over the top, but fits that. Because remember when I saw it, and I was like, "How are they going to do the?" Um, Slits his nose, and is he going to look yeah. really weird and just kind of not translate to the screen as it does in the books? But mm-hmm. the design of him was brilliant. Like, I feel like a lot. Like you look at like a lot of these films, and they were done like a decade ago, over a decade ago. Um, and you look at these films, not over a decade ago, decade. Oh, these films are what. This came out in 2005, so 15 years ago. Yeah, so you look at them and some of the special effects, just, just they just age. It's just, so you, it's just we've came, excuse me, so far. Yeah. They do, they age. Ralph finds his special effects they do on Rafe, his... Rafe, not Ralph. Rafe finds... <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Jordan. Um, but it doesn't age. Yes. The amount of time and money and care that they've spent on getting that right is really good. It doesn't look... His face doesn't look weird. It doesn't look no, no. out of place or anything. Absolutely. And I think this is one of the the final times where there is sort of light within the franchise because obviously Voldemort... We have the British World Cup. Yeah, Voldemort has risen. Mm-hmm. And it's darkness until the yeah. end, really, because you've got that constant threat. Mm-hmm. Um, where you've obviously you've always had Voldemort in different guises in in previous films, and that's that's another thing about actually Prisoner of Azkaban, which I think people do enjoy, is the fact that Lord Voldemort isn't the big bad. He's not in it. He's not. He's talked about. Are he's in a a photograph or a picture. Yeah. And that's it. So therefore, it's a completely different take on how to work that and how mm-hmm. they can shift who, obviously, because Sirius Black is touted as a villain throughout the piece and then we then the twist happens and he's not. I always wanted to ask this, okay, and I don't think that anybody know the answer, but it, 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 it it's like, you know, kicked around yeah, on the yeah. internet. So the Weasley Twins had the Marauders map. Yeah. Like, what, five years? Yeah, I think so. By four four, four years. years? Okay. For three of those years that they had it, their brother was at Hogwarts. They didn't think to ask him why he was constantly with and sleeping with somebody <laughs> called Peter Pettigrew. I mean, yeah. like, there's accepting and there's just right out negligence. <laughs> Like, they never once went, oh, so you're very close mm. with your mate Peter. Why have we never met him? 
it's honestly this if you there's so many plot holes when you really think about it. There is loads of plot holes when you think about but it. But that's when you get when you get into sort of these franchises because obviously J.K. Rowling wrote the first one. It was a massive success. Mm-hmm. So she had to quickly write the second one. And that's why I do think it's the worst. I think it's the yeah. most rushed. It feels like that. And then I think there was a little small break between that and Prince of Azkaban. So she's obviously thought about it, then planned out the rest of the books. Yeah. However, there is some things within the previous two where There's she's introduced it, where she's thought, oh, that's a great twist. But then... You don't think about all the different ramifications of that. And I think that being the Marauder's Map and the yeah. idea is one of them, massively. Um, but yeah, sorry, back to Goblet of Fire. And of course, Cedric, Cedric Diggory dies. Yes. Really sad. Um, but it's just the fact that like these films like launched so many British actors' careers. Yeah, yeah. It was just... I, I mean, love watching yeah. them being like, they're famous, they're famous, they're all British. It's great. But not only does it launch careers, like, near enough every major British star has been in them as yeah. well. So you've got the, the old hands like your, your Maggie Smiths, your Richard Harris's, your Michael Gambons. Mm-hmm. You've got Adam Rickman, yeah. David Thelwas. I mean, it's, um, i trying to think of Sir Emma Thompson, but yeah, it, it's... I think it's a very British... People are proud of these movies. And yeah, I'm the very British. proud of them, yeah. Yeah. And I think... Because at first I think they wanted to film them in the US. Probably. And they were like... Yeah, and then I think... I believe J.K. Rowling was like, no. It's British humour. It won't translate. It won't be as good. And I honestly think if they, if it, if they set it in like a US one, it just wouldn't... It just wouldn't be right. It wouldn't... It wouldn't be as good. There's like lots of like little like things like this is set in like the nineteen nineties. Yeah, yeah. And we've discussed it, we've like giggled about it before and discussed it. There's like little stereotypes that are very British. Mm. Like the Irish boy who's constantly blowing things up, but this is during the troubles. Yeah. And it's like, that's really bad. But when you realise the time frame Well, you don't really when you're watching these and we, well to be honest, more when you read them, you don't understand that it's a period piece because I think the final book mm-hmm. is based set in 1997 yeah so therefore it's things started in 1990 yeah so yeah it's it's it, that's interesting when you really really think about but it but then we like when they've set it when you look at like the fashions and yeah, everything yeah. not a single one of them are wearing anything that i would ever wear mm. none of them though a little bit gutted that um none of them have like a spice girl boot but it, there's that and then there's also um the thing about how um, we should have gotten our Hogwarts letters. Yes. But the great big fights at the ministry and everything, they destroyed all of the records. So as Muggleborns, we weren't on record oh. as being able to go. So the little thing is always like, you should have really gone to Hogwarts. But they just... Lost your details? Yeah. So we can always think. <laughs> Though I don't know how I would deal with that, like an MP3 player and all that jazz. Cause I, and I had a mobile phone when I was like 11. Yeah, I would not think I would have coped very well. <laughs> so we move on to the fifth in the franchise after the Goblet of Fire. Yeah. 
um, which is Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Now, mm-hmm. David Yates takes the helm, mm-hmm. and David Yates will go on to direct the final four films. Yes. Um, which I think, again, Quaron coming on really changed it, but I think David Yates is the one who really drove with it mm-hmm. um, and took it. And I think these four, straight stretch of four films, are probably the best four films for me. I, I just think yeah. they have a better cast, they've got a more aged cast, but he's dealing with a continued story as well. Yeah. Um, when, you, when you can build up that, momentum throughout multiple films and obviously it's four films three books because the final film is the final book is split split up into two books but yeah i think the order of the phoenix is i mean it's my favorite book but it's not Mm -hmm. my favorite film i always Um, kind of was a little bit disappointed that they didn't have hermione's spew mm. like I felt like that was missing. Well, I think it is, but I think again, it's, it's to do with the plot. It, that doesn't really. No, but it actually makes her a likable character. Yeah. Because she's not. I'm sorry, but up until like the past few films, all she's done is twine at people. Um, and kind of boss people about. This actually gave her a much more of a human side. Yeah. And showed that she you know she was like okay yeah she maybe. Um, very book smart and all this, but she has got a a very. It, it made her more vulnerable, which in the books I was like, okay, actually she really she's really passionate about mm. something. She really cares about others, because I don't feel like you always get that in the films, <clears throat> and it's always a little bit like, just not a bit twiny, lovely go away. Yeah, but there but- was that and um. Oh, um, they they didn't go in um with the curse, the curse of if they told about Dumbledore's yeah. army, which I liked. I liked the fact there was like a you'll get cursed if you tell people. Yeah, and I think I mean, to be honest, my favorite part about the book and the film is the fact that ev- there's sort of one man against the world mm-hmm. angle to it. And obviously, <clears throat> Harry comes out and says Voldemort's risen. I mean, the Ministry and most of the other people don't believe him, so therefore, he's treated differently within these books. And there's a lot. Uh, Harry is an angry teen. He is, yeah. And, and as well as within the films, because you get arguments again with Seamus with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's an angle that I really liked um, about it in the fact that. He sort of becomes a man in it. Yeah, he kind of knows his own better. Yeah. He knows his own mind and he starts standing up for things. Yes. Not just in, in his friends, but to like figures of authority. Because um, of course this is where Amelda Staunton comes in. Yes. Um, but as... who is probably the best villain in the actual Paul Okay, franchise. right, even Voldemort doesn't like this woman. Yeah. Okay. She is... She's awful. Yeah, I mean, I think as well as I mean, Mel Stoughton comes in. Mel Stoughton is great in the role, and um, just that sort of high pitched double sort of laugh that she does. Um, but she wasn't what I pictured when I read the book. Well, no, because like she, she, in the book, she's described as a squat, toad like woman. Yeah, and I remember watching an interview with her, and she was like, "Like, oh, you'd be perfect for this role." And she reads the description, she's like, 
thanks guys that's really nice of you i think yeah yeah and no i really do like that and you've also got some of my favorite scenes in the entire franchise for example when the weezy twins finally escape escape and the fireworks and everything like that and the little sort of um, sort of punch the air moment that Pro- Pro- Professor Flitwick does and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. But yeah, it's, again, I think it just goes in a bit of a different direction. And even though it stays with like the the, the same architecture, there's a little bit of a different aesthetic to it. Mm-hmm. Um, films look great and that continues on too. And you do have the final set piece in the ministry and I just love all the the black tile yes and just how that looks on screen and of course this is the first film of Luna yeah and I think Luna is wonderful she's such a good she's a different character Mm -hmm. whereas everybody else is so concerned with like their own life um even like everybody's very doom and gloom even the people who aren't like worried about yeah, things yeah. they're just very negative which i think is a very teenage thing she comes on and she's like no everything will be fine it'll all be good don't don't worry about it and then you have the awful story of like why she can see the thestrals yeah yeah which just breaks my heart i think it's awful and that's it we are we're, we're introduced to new things because of and that idea of death, because mm-hmm. we introduced that through the Thestrals and obviously with Sirius dying at the end. Um, but I just always loved that the idea of the Order and the Dumbledore's army mm-hmm. um, and those sequences are just, just... The Room of Requirement. Yeah. I love that. And those those add like, that more of a... They make it more cinematic. Yeah. They make it more fun. Yeah. Yeah. So let me move on to the Half Blood Prince. Yes. Um, which again it introduces us to, to new characters, and we finally get to see what Hogwarts is like when they know it has a constant threat from Voldemort. Yes. Um, David Yates, as I said, keeps on this one, and I kind of like it because you get a bit more Alan Rickman in this. Can never have enough Alan Rickman. Yeah, and you get into the idea of Horcruxes as a plot point. Yes. Um, and that always intrigued me about the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, of that you realise that Tom Riddle's diary was one. Um, you, I'm trying to think of what else. Um, there's the ring. There's the ring. There's the necklace. Yeah. There's in the end Nagini. Yeah. Uh, Harry. Yeah. So that's Harry, Nagini, the ring, the book, the necklace. The sword. The, no, no, the, sword the, the, the diadem. Yeah. Ravenclaw's diadem. And then uh, Voldemort himself. Yes. Seven pieces of his soul. Um, yeah, that that's it. It's, um, again, it's like, it's a harder film. It, it, goes with like a lot more adult things and um where you have uh alan rickman like trying to teach harry potter how to control more things yeah look after himself more it's he's he's like actually trying to prepare him absolutely and i think what you you get to see in this as well is uh, the moment where 
I mean, every kid has it where they realise that their parents aren't the absolute saints that you believe they are because mm-hmm. you you get to see James Potter be a bit of a dick and Sirius be a bit of a dick. Yeah, they weren't a bit, they were tall. Um, so therefore, you, you, you get to see that bit of maturity through him. And you can kind of see, okay, yeah, I can totally get why Snape doesn't like your dad. Oh, yeah. Because he's made his life a living hell. Mm. And then... um. This is the one with Mad Eye Mooney. No, that's it's Goblet not, of Fire. That's Goblet of Fire. Oh, he's in the neck. He's in the final one, isn't he? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, again, it's like darker magic. It's like when they go and get the. Is it the? Yeah, they go get the necklace from, the. Um, the from the cave. Yeah, still don't like that bit. Yeah, it is. It's, it's kind of hard when you when you see Michael Gambon, sort of really. In pain, yeah, it is, and I think it's one of these where there are always going to be twelve years, but there are moments within, say, Prisoner of Azkaban, mm-hmm. above where people take young kids to these movies, yeah, but generally probably they shouldn't, yeah. Um, you think about the, I mean, just the Dementors themselves in all yeah, the movies, terrifying. like the design of them is so good, like the, I mean, obviously how they do it with water and how the cloaks are mm-hmm. sort of floating. It is such haunting imagery that stays throughout the film. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Half-Blood Prince, I really do enjoy. Um, Again, Jim Broadbent, we've got coming in a Slughorn, who is great. I love him so much. And the sequence where Harry drinks the, is it Felix Felicius or something like that? Oh, yeah, the, the liquid look. Yeah. Yeah. It is, yeah. I really, really do. It's, it's not one that comes up much because I think the final two sort of put it in a shadow a bit. Mm. Because obviously, yeah, you you yeah. do have the death of Dumbledore, but you're sort of waiting for the final two. You know and, that the end's coming, and you're like, right, I want to get, I want to get to the end now. I want to see how this goes. Yeah, and this is the controversial part. So, Deathly Hollows Part One. Yeah. I remember I took my sister to go see this. Shout out to my sister. Yeah. We sat, we watched it, we were so excited for it. We know it's going to be a two-parter. We know it is. It's going to be absolutely fine. We sat, we watched through it, we are like, it's coming. It's going to be really good. It's all coming. We'll sit through them camping for like nine months of the year, which it's never good in the, in summer in Britain, never mind like when it's snowing outside. We got to the point where they lit, where he, where Voldemort like literally cracked the, the yeah. Dumbledore's grave. Film ended and my sister went to me and she was like, what the hell was that? So We wanted a bit of action. So Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows Part 1 is my favourite Harry Potter film. Really? It's so slow. Thing is, yes it is, but it's intentionally like that and that's what I kind of like about it. It is, it has so much angst in it and it, part of it where they're just sort of trudging about it's kind of like a 150 million art house movie of teens yeah (laughs) you get really in the mind of those characters and you get into the sort of the anxiety and the stresses of the journey that they're on and the fact Mm -hmm. is that they are isolated and you've got this weight that it's a weight that people of their age shouldn't have oh yeah and it's the conflict between Harry and Ron and the fact that 
Hermione's put in this weird, horrible place because we all know that she loves Ron, but But she's... does she? I always feel like she loved Harry more. No, she. I think she's always loved Ron. But, but even J.K. Rowling has said, listen, I wrote it wrong. They should. It should have been Hermione and Harry that ended up together. I disagree. But but it's like she's like, oh, when Ron goes, does she follow her love or does she try to stay to the mission? Mm-hmm. And the, I really do. It's it's probably one of my favorite. one of my favorite sequences in the entire franchise is. And again, it's a moment where people hate it, but it's when they're in the tent, and the Nick Cave song comes on, mm-hmm. and they just have a little bit of a dance, and it's awkward. Oh, that is beautiful. And it's sort of very stilted, but you get to see them be kids yeah. again, where you've had an hour and a bit of them just on this really, really heavy mission. The a friend's gone, they're mm-hmm. on their own, they have no idea where to go. And they just have this moment of levity. And it's very fleeting because as soon as they have it, they realise where they are and they go back to normal. Yeah. And it's beautifully shot. And again, because of the dancing so sort of teen disco-y, like people laughed about it when whilst yeah. in the cinema. I didn't understand that. But then you, when you sort of read a bit more into what that scene is actually saying, because that isn't a scene in the book. No, I know. Um, and it's when you can get those moments. It's like, for example, again, we're talking about Prisoner of Azkaban. Like, there's moments in Prisoner of Azkaban that aren't in the book, but I think if they were in the book, they would have probably enhanced it. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, so they actually started being thought about as films, mm-hmm. not just book adaptations yeah and i like that because that continues throughout the entirety of the david yates ones but yeah it's there's a pensiveness about part one of deathly hallows that i just love and if i ever put one on that will probably be the one that i put on even though nothing much happens nothing in much it. happens in it i think it's an interesting one though because like you start to find out a little bit more about the horcruxes and what they do to people mm. and then it kind of makes you think like when you find out that harry's a horcrux and, like, for people who read the books, they understand that um, maybe the Dursleys weren't as bad. They've literally lived around a piece of evil for their entire lives. Yeah. And when you read the books, you um, find out that, like, oh, what's her name? Mrs. Dursley, I can't remember what her full name is. Petunia. Petunia. When her sister, Lily, came out, and was like, oh, I'm going to Hogwarts and all this. Petunia was literally just like shoved to the side. Like, your sister is so much better than you. And was clearly the favourite child. And then Petunia was clearly ignored. So you can understand why she's got that resentment. You can understand why she's like so annoyed and so upset. Because for years she was told, you are nothing compared to your sister. Yeah, yeah. And then to be living around a Horcrux for that length of time, like, you see what Ron turns into when he's only been wearing it for, like, what, a week? Yeah. If they're living around something, a living Horcrux, they can't physically get away with it. Legally, they couldn't exactly get rid of him either. So you start to think, maybe they weren't as awful. I think... Maybe... 
the fact that Harry was a Horcrux actually made them a lot worse. Maybe they weren't great people to begin with. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... I think don't, don't think we should actually in the film, because obviously, if that was the case, then everybody around Harry whilst in the films, or in the books, would have that where you don't see it. I just yeah. think that the in the first film, the the basically the... The stepsisters in Cinderella. Yeah, that's very true. And they they treat you like that, but that just continues. It's always good to have the the reason why he loves Hogwarts so much is because he he fits there, yeah. whereas he doesn't fit in the real world. Yeah, um, and because of part of his his family is not nice. It's a good thing to think about, though. It is. Maybe. And but again, again, Deathly Hallow Part One, you have the opening sequences of the attack. Yes. Um, of the Seven Harrys. And of, <laughs> I remember reading it. I remember literally being at the midnight launch, coming home and reading like the first few chapters before going to bed and not being um, shocked about the attack or about some of the, the, the deaths that happen, mm-hmm. but about killing Hedwig. Yes. That was big, I thought. I thought it was actually, that was actually quite a big, bold choice. Big. It was big because you're just like, you've literally killed like the one person who's always been his friend. Yeah. Who was just literally an innocent bystander, didn't do anything. Hmm. And I can never get away with killing animals and pets. <laughs> but no, and, and like, so, that, and then also, it's the, like the Deathly House is the calm before the storm as well. Yes, it's the part one. It, is. it feels very, very calm. Yeah. It feels unnaturally calm. Compared to the other films, which is probably why I'm not a big fan of it, because I find it a bit unsettling. Yeah. You have all this ramping up in the other films, and then this one is just like, pfft, nothing. Yeah. Literally, like, nothing happens. You have the first exciting little bit of the Seven Harrys, and then nothing. And then you're just like, this this isn't right. Yeah. And then, again, we might as well get into Deathly Hallows part... Two. And also, you know, part, part one, let's finish that one. Because again, it has a lovely, probably the best shot, well, it's not even shot, it's animated. The animated se- sequence of the Deathly Hallows. Yes. Narrated by um, Emma Watson. Yes, and it is beautifully it made. It is so gorgeous. And it's like, I would love to see just even more of that style of animation. Because yeah, it's completely different to anything else in in it's a comp it's like they've got a completely different director and yeah. everything for that mm. which i think is really good it's something so completely different it feels like like david yates just went to someone saying okay this is your project you do however you want you do however you want it feels again such a contrast to anything else within the entire franchise mm-hmm. but it stands out in a very good way yeah um and that obviously comes in the sequence when you've got Reese fans as Luna's dad. Love Reese fans. But oh, seriously, these films are just feel feel like actors. I'm just like, I just love them. And so part two, I remember watching part one and then understanding what is going to be a part two and the fact it's going to be two and a bit hours of the Battle of Hogwarts and just yes. how much of it's going to be a bloodbath. Yes, and it kind of doesn't disappoint. Oh no, and not at all. The momentum of that movie, because it is just sort of constant action. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's relentless. It's absolutely relentless with just how much it throws at you, uh, asks you to compute and people die, people who you don't really what realise. What could die? Yeah. One of my favourite bits 
in it is when they're getting um, Hogwarts ready for lockdown. I remember reading that in the books and just being like, I can't wait to see this on the big screen. And it just didn't disappoint with um, the teachers locking all the doors yeah. and then all the statues coming to life to defend Hogwarts. And it's like, it's, it's the bit like where McGonagall's like, I always wanted to do this. And it's like, I can totally see why you would always want to do this. Hogwarts has obviously never had to defend itself to this point because those statues, there's no, there's no missing of those statues. Yeah. They've always been able to just defend themselves with normal magic. This is the absolute extreme of magic. And to sort of see everything sort of come down and... It's so, you get, you can, you watch it and if you're like me, you didn't like part one, you can forgive them for part one for part two. Mm. Because as slow and everything as part one is, how much would you be screaming if they stopped the action of part two halfway through? You'd hate it. It would yeah. be absolutely horrific. It would be like cinemas on fire when that came out. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons why splitting into two was the right thing to do. Because, mm-hmm. again, there was, there was a trend of it happening throughout the time. So you had the Hunger Games who did it. You had Twilight who did it. Yeah. Harry Potter did it. And it was like, oh, it's just, it's just a shameless cash grab, which... Don't be wrong, it probably was. Warner Brothers was like, well, yes, there's enough material for two films, but if they really wanted to, mm-hmm. they could have made a three-hour film. Yeah. Tried to get tried to get it all in and release it as one movie, but they thought, well, do you know what? Each one of them is going to make a billion dollars, so why, why not split it? Yeah, why not make the money? But, yeah, it's... It's a hell of a good time is the final one. Oh, it's brilliant. It, it's super emotional. Um... You've got, it's kind of like when in a TV show when you get to a sort of a finale of a TV show where all the characters come back and it's like, it's just a happy, You the fact that you get to see all these people on the same screen at the same time where you've seen somebody here in film one or film four and then... It's like the original have, Avengers Endgame. It kind of is. Because everybody just comes back. And the thing is, as well as like J.K. Rowling wrote some really good set pieces mm-hmm. um, in this, in the book, and just seeing those come to life as a fan of the of the source material, of seeing the um, the statues who you don't really think about anything who come out and act as like guards. guards. They're the first wave of the teachers, like casting the 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 protection over. Mm-hmm. And it's like even the stuff where you've got Neville on the bridge taunting the Death Eaters in Voldemort's fall. And the then Death Eaters w- and the werewolves. Yeah, and then realising that that is the moment in time when the shield goes. Mm-hmm. And, he, and then he sets off the explosion. It's just, it's it's great moment after great moment. And the thing is, these films aren't, the greatest pieces of cinema out there, but they are great pieces of sort of fan cinema. Yeah. Whereas they deliver 
what you want them to deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you if you don't read the books, then I think you can still enjoy the films. But if you read the books, and I think you 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 fill in a lot of the gaps. Yeah, like my sister didn't read the books until she's seen all the films. All right. Like my sister's six years younger than me, hmm. so I read all the books. Um, but by the time she was kind of old enough to start reading them, the films were already out. Yeah. So she was like. I'm just going to read them. And she, she has now read them, but she read them way later. And yeah. she was like, there's so many more details in these books that you just think, little bits that you think, oh, I really wish that had been in the film. But then you've added an extra 20 minutes on. Exactly. And it's like stuff's taken out. Like, for example, like within, within Prison Rascalam, we're introduced to Stan Shunpike. Yes. And the fact that like throughout it, he doesn't really come back into the films. He's in the end, but no, he's only spoke about because mm-hmm. he's on. He's, he has the Chris Yaz curse yes. thing to him, so he doesn't really come back and interact with the story. But you hear about him throughout mm-hmm. the films, sorry, throughout throughout the books, and you lose all that sort of stuff within it. But you do that with any sort of adaptation because oh yeah, you kind of have to. You have to because you're there to tell a story in a certain way of time and the restrictions that that actually has Mm -hmm. but no i mean harry potter is a it's a franchise that i think i must return to maybe not all seven of the films but at least few of them once a year it's very much a comfortable blanket yeah and that's why i picked it for this time um we are in very uncertain yeah. Times, whereas this is a franchise that ends, and in the end, it ends on a positive. Yeah. Um, it's something that is completely suitable for the whole family. Like you know, you people know their kids. I don't know if they get scared about Dementors, but if you've got it, you can always fast forward it. That's what I always say. Yeah. Um, it's something that older members of the family can watch. It's something that parents can watch. It's something that once you've finished, there's so much stuff out there that you can enjoy yeah. around it. There's books, there's costumes. God, you could like go out and make a make a broom out of sticks. There's so much stuff that if your kid like this and you watch the films, that if they get bored, you're like, okay, right, we're going to do this now. You can make games out of it. I just think it's the kind of franchise that, for this point in time, you need something that's going to stimulate the imagination, whether you be an adult or you be a child. And I feel like this really does. Absolutely. I think it, you said that right. It's, it's a film that does capture the imagination. It's, and it's a series that captures the imagination. And just, just my final one thing that I'll say, because we have spoke for quite a long time on Harry Potter, is <laughs> just how iconic... Um, and it's it's not his only iconic thing about cinema, but John Williams' theme. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, just hearing that how, how each film is brought in with that sort of that twinkle mm-hmm. of the, the of the pianos or with, with how it goes about it. But yeah, it's just wonderful. Yeah. So failing that, you could at least get something nice for the kids to listen to when they go to sleep. Yes. And I think that's probably it for Harry Potter. 
yeah, there's so much. I could go on for hours. I think we both probably yeah, go on for hours could. about Harry Potter because there's just so much stuff. Absolutely. This is our part one. This is our part one. We've got part two next week. Yes. Um, we which is for part two. So my choice was um, the Mission Impossible Very series. Very family friendly. Yes, but I think an interesting watch just to see how those films have evolved over, like, from where it began. Um, because unlike say, Harry Potter, which was a series, mm-hmm. this basically is is a series that only came from the success from the previous one. So yeah. you're trying to build up a, a mythology, whereas Harry Potter came with its own mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah... As always, go over to see our brothers and sisters podcasts. Yes. Wearepodsyndicate.com. Go oh, give them some love. Yeah, and rate reviewers, likers, followers, Spotify, our podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Come say um, hi on social media. Yeah, on His Film, Her Movie um, on Twitter and His Film, Her Movie podcast on Instagram. Yep. And I think that's it. I think we've babbled on for quite a while. We have. It's a special extended episode, but given the way the world is at the moment, and the thing is, what what is nice and what isn't nice about it all is we are all in the same boat. We are. It's it's an international issue that we all have to deal with, and we all have to try and do our bit to curve what's happening. And hopefully... Because I know a lot of people like, I know we're working from home. It can get very lonely. Hopefully, you can stick us on in the background and have just some inane chatter and make you feel like you are back at the office. Yeah, because if this podcast is one thing, it's inane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, we like to try and keep things normal, keeping the routine. Yes. So, we are here. Absolutely. HF, HM Podcast at gmail.com if you want to get in touch. Yeah, even if you just want to have a little rant about how you're feeling. Absolutely, absolutely. But other than that, I think that's probably going to be it till next week. That is it for this this week. So that's goodbye from me and stay safe. It's goodbye from me and Pi. See you next week. <laughs>